0: in Las Vegas. Some of you are aware that on October 1st uh, at the Route 91 Harvest Festivals, Country Music Festival in Las Vegas uh, that a gunman can't figure out quite a motive yet but from a position in the Mandalay Bay Hotel uh, took 58 lives. With high powered rifles they were just sitting ducks at this concert and wounded some 500 others. Now, uh, let me just say that I'm tired of interrupting the message that I've written to deal with these things. I- I'm getting sick of it, and, 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 and I-, I have a policy that when these things like, like this happen, we, we need to f- mention these things. We need to frame these things in light of the kingdom. We can't let the darkness just go unchecked, unframed, ca- <laughs> with, with kingdom lenses, but I just, I'm, I'm kind of sick of it. Uh, But this is the reality of darkness in our world. Uh, These things, no doubt, cause us to question what God is up to, how a sovereign, good God that has a good plan for us could allow such things to happen, and not just happen, but happen with such frequency. And we've got questions. Some of us have probably made demands. And I just don't think that that's where we should go with this. Um, I, I think we serve a God that doesn't mind Questions, But I think that, God, how could you let this happen? Why? I don't think those are the right questions, at least at this time. Um, And so my goal is to help us understand where God is in all of this and also help us to understand the reality that, you know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. I typically don't go there with these uh, incidents, uh, you know, shootings and things like that. But for, for some reason this week, I just felt like the Lord just wanted me to remind each of you that none of those people imagined that it would be their last moment on earth. None of those people thought that they'd kissed their you know, family members for the last time. I'm sure they thought they had time. And so what I feel compelled to tell you is something that I told you a couple of weeks ago, that even in the midst of the darkness and the pain, an unspeakable tragedy and loss, that God is still on the throne. But I think one of the things that the Lord wants us to to, to gather from this is that tomorrow is not promised and that he's calling each and every one of you not to live in fear, but to have a sense of urgency with regard to your soul and your life with Jesus. And I think that we can also have a sense of urgency as it relates to uh, relating to the people that God has given us in our life. I imagine the regret that some might uh, be feeling um, with all the open accounts that will still remain open as their loved ones have gone to the grave. Things that have left spoken, terrible words that were spoken. Uh, And so I just feel like the Lord might press upon us, among other things, uh, that tomorrow is not promised as we're supposed to view life and these opportunities to choose well and to choose Jesus We're supposed to take those things seriously. And so I just want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for each and every family, each and every person that's been gripped by this tragedy. And I just want to pray that darkness would not win in this situation. So would you join with me as I pray? Lord, I thank you so much for even in these dark, painful situations, we can find you. We should find you. You speak through these things in the midst of the pain. And so, Father, I pray that in the midst of this, as Isaiah saw you in his vision, that we would still see you high and lifted up, seated on your throne. Holy, calling us to be holy. I pray for those who uh, have questions or are disgruntled with God this morning. Father, I pray that your peace would break in, the type of peace that surpasses all understanding, that the scriptures tell us will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I pray for every family member that's lost a father, a mother, son, a daughter, a friend. I pray for those, Father, 500 injured, Lord, that will be permanently scarred by this, Father. I pray that your kingdom would break in in a way that is just supernatural. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. May the darkness be pressed back by the kingdom of light, by your church, by your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen begin uh, my message this morning with a story that some of you have heard before. It's a story about a friend of mine. His name is Steve Nicholson. Steve Nicholson pastors the Evanston Vineyard uh, in Evanston, Illinois. Steve said he had a friend, I shouldn't say a friend, but a guy had started coming to his church Uh, and started visiting uh, uh, the Evanston Vineyard, and the guy was from a mainline denominational church, and as the guy started hanging around a couple months, Steve engaged this gentleman in conversation. He says, hey, man, you've been hanging around our church for a couple of months. What would you say is the biggest difference between what we do here at Vineyard and the mainline denominational church you came from? And Steve, knowing that the Vineyard's kind of a casual place and that there's contemporary music instead of, you know, um, I guess more traditional music, uh, he, he expected the guy to say one of those things, hey, you guys don't dress up, hey, you guys drink coffee in, in the sanctuary, those types of things. But the, but the guy said this, he said, you know what, hanging around the vineyard, it's apparent to me that you guys actually expect people to change. With the messages you preach and the community life that you do here, you guys have a real expectation that if a person would engage that and engage it fully, you actually expect them to change. And I heard that, and, and that was probably five years ago, but I have just sort of baked that into my understanding of what's supposed to happen here. What's supposed to happen when somebody walks through this door, as we, as we set ourselves to be people of the kingdom, or as my friend Ben uh, here says, people of the book, people of scripture, people who have allowed the uh, miracle-working life changing power of the, the spirit and power of the gospel to be unleashed in our lives we expect for people to change in fact it, we get quite frustrated if a person's hanging around here for too long and we don't see some transformation in their life you should be frustrated if you've sat in somebody's church for years and you can't look three months behind you, six months behind you, a year behind you, and and have some marked change in your life, you ought to probably find someplace else to go. And it is our goal here that if you come here, you engage this word, you engage this community, you engage the real Jesus, that you will change. You'll change. And another word for that change is simply you'll grow. You'll grow if you boil down what the one thing God expects of you. If you boil down everything he asks you to do, God asks you to do, everything he asks you not to do, if you want to boil that down to one word, one phrase, it's this. God expects you to grow. God expects you to grow. Many of you have babies, right? You don't expect much from that baby. Just laying there, limp, you know, laughing and coo. You don't expect anything from that baby but what? that it will continue to grow. And the same thing in your life with Jesus. God doesn't have these grand expectations of you. He wants you to be closer to him today than you were yesterday. And take another step closer and take another step closer. Anybody, no matter what, state, you know, what place you are on the uh, spectrum of faith, can take one step closer to Jesus than you were yesterday. Friends, we simply call that growth God expects us to grow up in him. Because of that reality, I begin a brand new series this morning that I'm simply calling You Can Grow. You can grow. And you should be growing, right? And so we just concluded a series just last week, a series that we're calling Going Deeper. And so in Going Deeper, think foundation, right? If you want to build high, if you want to grow a structure tall, you have to dig deep, right? And so we spent about six weeks talking about what it means to dig deep, to lay a strong foundation. Jesus even says in the Sermon on the Mountain, the earlier parts of Matthew, that if you don't have a strong foundation upon which you build your life, when the waves and the winds beat upon the structure that is your life, it's really going to matter what you've built it on, right? And so we took about six weeks to make sure you have a really firm foundation, and what we're going to talk about over the next four or five weeks is what to build on that structure, how you can grow as a result of having gone deep, you can grow. And so the goal of this series is to urge you higher, upward in the things of God, and this series is designed primarily to help you understand what God wants from all of us. Simply put, he wants us to grow. I want to look at some words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Paul says these words, now these are the gifts Christ has given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ Growing, there's that word growing again, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. There's grow again, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so real simply put, Paul's talking about the, the ministry gifts that, that God has given to the church evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, those sorts of things, those are some of the gifts that God has given to his body, the church, to help us do what? Have some more idols and some more people to look up to and some more people to worship? No, these are gifts that God has given us specifically so that we can leave immaturity behind and press onward toward maturity, growth, deeper depths, higher heights in him. Now, Paul's just mentioning some of the people gifts But all throughout scripture, scripture details the gifts and the tools that God gives uh, us as individuals and God gives us as a body for the express purpose of doing what? Growing up in him. I'm so glad that God just didn't say grow and then he leaves us in the snowbank to figure it out. He equips us, he resources us, he empowers us with the spirit to do what we need to do. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some key things, some key areas of our life that God is calling us to grow up in. I want to begin with a foundational one this morning, and that is in the realm, in the area of faith. Faith. Now, faith is a broad subject. I could spend an entire calendar year preaching on the subject of faith, and I probably still wouldn't cover it all. But faith is foundational. You can't even begin to have a life with Jesus. You can't even begin to explore the depths of who God is and what God wants for you unless you have at least a basic understanding of this thing called faith. Faith is designed for the purposes of this message as the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. The confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And that word hope that we use in a Christian sense isn't like, you know, sometimes we use hope as, you know, as a synonym for wish, right? So this hope isn't wishful thinking. Some of you are like, man, I hope they have some chicken ready when I go over to Jules. You know, I hope I don't have to wait, right? But hope is like, no, my guy's over there. He told me that if he's going to set a 20-piece aside, I know it's going to be there because I trust him. And so this isn't wishful thinking. I hope God is good like he says he is. I hope God can be trusted. I hope God's going to come through for me. Now, this is an inner knowing that God is who he says he is because we trust his promises, and more than that, we trust his character. And this is especially important when we talk about a world where the darkness is pressing in, where all the signs point to God being asleep somewhere. All the signs point... Uh, to God being indifferent or God being impotent someplace. But a deep and abiding faith allows us to see God in the midst of our circumstances because faith is an inner reservoir of hope that is based on the character, the nature, and the promises of God. The writer of Hebrews says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The old King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we haven't seen. And that's really poetic. That really rings out. I mean, it's really sweetly worded, especially if you like the old King James language like me. But at first I'm like, faith of what? The evidence of what? The substance of what? Put it simply, faith is this inner deposit of hope. That when you have no other thing that you can cling to, particularly when things get crazy, faith, particularly faith in God, is that inner object, that inner hope that assures us. It bolts us to the ground when life throws us a curveball. It, it, it anchors our soul. It tethers us to something that's going to be here tomorrow, even when the circumstances of life paint a grim picture. It is the deposit that God gives us that he can be trusted and that his promises and his word is sure. And it doesn't really matter how you came to faith. Many of you came to faith because you heard the gospel. Some of you, you, you felt the Spirit's presence. Others of you you, you, you beheld the witness of the saints around you. And some of you, all three of those things were at work. doesn't matter how you came to faith, but there was a deposit of faith that was placed on the inside of you that begin your journey with Jesus. And I got news for you this morning that if that thing doesn't grow, if you don't nurture that, if you don't press into that, if you don't like cause that thing to grow upward in the Lord, the, the, the pressures and the winds and the ways of life will choke that thing out. You had something happen this week, last week. If it didn't happen to you, it happened in our world. If it didn't happen to you, it happened to somebody. You, I mean, if you don't grow in faith, it will be be arrested. And so I'm simply calling this message this morning, Growing in Faith. Growing in Faith. And I don't think there's a more appropriate time uh, to discuss what it means to grow in faith, especially with things that have been happening in our own church community and what's happening in the world. We need to hear this and respond to this like never before. Growing in faith. I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning, Matthew 14. If you would turn there with me quickly. Matthew 14. Feel free to use the Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to also use the ta- your tablets or your phones. We'll also be projecting it on the screens while you get it. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, release the gift of faith this morning. Buckets and buckets of faith. Heaven knows that many here have been tried and tested. Many have experienced unthinkable suffering and tragedy, not to mention what's going on in our world. Father, we need you. We need your instruction. We need heaven's help to grow in faith. For those who are just, I mean, it's all you can do to just come to church today. It's all you can do to just muster the energy and emotional, spiritual courage to just get here today. Father, I pray that your people will leave filled with faith, reminded of your goodness and your love, teach us this morning. Put power on these words, Lord, that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all those people said, amen. Growing in faith, Matthew chapter 14. But you have to understand what's going on right now. What's happened before this passage that we'll read is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people. I mean, it's a, it was, it's a ridiculous miracle. Uh, somebody had two fish, five loaves, and Jesus just did his Jesus thing, bada boom, bada bing. Lots of food. There was leftovers. And so what happens when this happens, you know, when this happens, it's like these people are like, this guy's the God. Let's take him by force and make him king. And so Jesus has to do some things, send his disciples away, get away from these folks, and and go someplace to pray. But he sent his disciples away, uh, sent them on a leg to go away. He would meet up with them later. And this is where we pick up the story here. At verse 22, immediately after this, the miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hill. Excuse me, by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. Look at Jesus. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus when he saw the strong wind and waves he was terrified and he began to sink save me lord he shouted and jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him you have so little faith jesus said why do you doubt me when they climbed back when they climbed back in the boat the wind stopped then the disciples worshiped him you really are the son of god they exclaimed Now, to some of you, this is a familiar passage. Others of you who are new to Scripture and new to church, this is like, this is your first time hearing it. Either way, it's a spectacular story. It's a great text. And as a preacher, I often say this is a great text because there's tons of stuff here. It takes a great discipline to, like, uh, narrow this thing down and and treat this text, you know, so that it serves the purpose of what we're talking about today. But but you can't ignore the mega-theme of faith in this particular passage. You can't escape, like, faith, the importance of faith. You can't help but observe the absence of it at certain points. This is the mega theme of this particular passage. And what this passage highlights to me is that faith is something that is incredibly easy, especially as a priest, it's incredibly easy to talk about. Oh, we can talk loud and long about faith. We can wax poetic We can turn to Scripture. We can pray about faith. We can fast about faith. We can can talk about it loud and long. But faith is something that is particularly hard to live out. It's particularly hard to to walk walk this thing out. And I heard a great description of faith. And somebody said, faith is like to lean the weight of your life on God and His promises. To lean the weight of your life on God and His promise. I'm kind of a bigger guy, in case you didn't notice. And if you talk to bigger guys, we we typically just don't sit in any old chair, right? I mean, one of the first things I do, I come to somebody's house, I'm like, man, that chair doesn't look that sturdy. I'm not going to embarrass myself. That I'd rather lean on the wall than sit in something that doesn't look sturdy. And the ultimate test of whether or not I believe that the chair will hold all of this is whether or not I sit in it, right? And the confidence with which I sit. Sometimes I will plop or plop down in a chair. It really looks sturdy, right? And so faith, a really good description is that when we lean the weight of our life on Jesus, we said, man, this God of heaven and earth, son of man, he looks sturdy enough that he can handle the weight of me and my cares. looks sturdy enough that he could handle my kids and their future. looks sturdy enough that he might be trusted with my finances and my resources and my sexuality and, and, and so forth. God can be trusted. And I just don't want to hear a whole lot from somebody about faith that isn't leaning the weight of their life. I don't want to be in somebody's small group. I'm sorry, I don't want to be in your small group if you don't demonstrate that you're leaning the weight of your life On Jesus, We can talk about faith a lot, but, you know, it's hard to walk it out. It's hard to walk it out because there is one reality about faith that comes up over and over and over and over again, and some of you are here right now, and that is that your faith, your faith, yes, your faith will be tested. And some of you almost shouted a loud hallelujah to that because of where you are right now. We do community life together. And so we can think of two or three instances where like this is a test of faith. Now no, this isn't, a, this isn't a bad thing. This isn't a bad thing. I don't know about you, it's been a while since I've been in school, but I didn't, I didn't like tests then. I don't like them now. But tests kind of show you what you're made of. You were overconfident about some stuff until it was tested, right? (laughs) And I don't think you even were like lying to yourself. You just thought you were a better fighter until, well, you got into a fight. You thought you were more intelligent. You thought you were a better debater until, well, you got into a debate. And you're like, man, I'm not that good at that. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I've learned over the years to pay attention to the great tests of life because oftentimes it shows me that I was a little overconfident in that area. I thought I, I thought I was more mature there. I thought I was more secure there. I thought I trusted God more. I thought I had squared away God's sovereignty and squared away the fact that, no, come what may. God, you're still good. I thought that that was, I thought that, like, I'm a preacher. I, get, I'm a, I do this. This is my thing. I do that, and then something happens. test of our faith and so this is, this is a test of the disciples' faith. Now, just moments ago, they saw a crazy miracle. I mean, it's the miracle of miracles, the mass reproduction of food, like Jesus made something from nothing. Just moments ago, I mean, they still probably had fish grease on their hands, some bread in their pockets. But another test. Jesus insists that they get back in the boat, cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent sent the people home, after sending them home, Jesus went to the hills to pray. Night falls. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. God just demonstrated through Jesus mastery over creation, mastery over elements. He multiplied it and yet Here's another situation. Jesus is kind of not quite with them. Their Thoughts are far from him. The thoughts instead are on the storm, the trouble that they're facing, these crazy headwinds that they're in. Now, by this time, they've been in the boat for several hours, and like this is one of life's great tests for them. As we jog through this text, I want you to, I want you to imagine, wh- what's tested you? Oh, what's one of the tests of your faith. It's kind of showing you right now what you're made of. Maybe you heard some bad news. Maybe something tragic has happened in your life. Maybe you got a diagnosis or something, right? And and like like this is your storm. These are your waves. These are the winds. I want to talk real quickly about three specific ways to grow in faith as we look at this text. The first, like, the first, like, primary way to grow in faith Jesus says it all the time. Angels show up and scare people to death, and the first thing they say out of their mouth is, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. (laughs) You want to grow in faith, you've got to deal with fear. If you want to grow in faith, you've got to deal with fear. If you want to grow in faith, you have to figure out how to deal with fear properly. Fear, as it relates to faith, is not your friend. It is not your friend. In fact, Paul tells us that fear doesn't come from God. That God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us spirits of power, of love, and self control. Fear is not from God. But if we're going to grow in faith, we have to deal appropriately with our fear. So they're in this boat, things are going crazy. Scripture says about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. Now their fear has just been compounded because these guys are in this like choppy water, winds probably sloshing water into the boat. And to make matters worse, this creepy figure is walking toward them like, This is like the perfect storm. I don't know what's more, worse. The threat of drowning in a choppy sea or some creepy figure walking toward me on the water. Put those things together. It's like what nightmares are made of. Verse 27 it says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And this should make all the difference in the world. And as we continue through this text, somehow it does. Crazy choppy seas, the threat of death, creepy figure walking on the water, terrified. Then Jesus speaks. And what Jesus says is, deal with your fear. or you'll blow this moment. Deal with your terror appropriately. Or you won't recognize me deal with it effectively or you won't get what i have to offer deal with it don't be afraid which seems kind of like a silly thing it seems like jesus doesn't understand the weight of the situation jesus understands the weight of the situation but jesus more understands the weight of what he has with him power of the kingdom Dominion over the elements that he long ago spoke to nothing and created everything that exists. Jesus knows who he is. And he could see you in the midst of death, in the midst of miscarriage, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of being laid off. He could see that and say, don't be afraid. When that phrase coming from anybody else would be insensitive. The audacity... From anybody else. But the God who spoke to nothing and created everything, the God who collected dust together, breathed into it, and here you are, like from anybody else. It'd be inappropriate. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am here. And a more literal translation of what Jesus is saying is, don't be afraid. The I am is here. Don't be afraid. The I am is here. And I love, listen, I love that. I, I love that because the, it's like filling the blank. What do you need? You need some peace in the midst of grief. You need some comfort. You need assurance. You need resource after a hurricane just like tore everything you, you know. You need a doctor in the sick room. You need a lawyer in the court. What do you need? The I am is here. And the I am brings us something better than what we want. The I am has a, has a deep and abiding understanding of what we need. So in this moment where faith is tested, where the waves and the seas and some creepy figures walk, Jesus says, hey, it's me. The I am is here. I got what you need right now. I got what you need right now. And I said it a couple months ago that fear is a natural response. And so it's like kind of crazy to say to somebody, don't be afraid, as if that's some, a switch that you can kind of turn off. But what I said a couple of months ago is, is you can't you wrestle down your fear, but you can, to choo- you can choose to have the proper object of your faith. You can choose to zoom in as television people know, zoom in and focus on what's most important. Years ago, I was a cameraman. I uh, worked in TV news. Actually, Jordan back there worked for a rival station. They were a little bit better than us, but we never <laughs> said that out loud. But as a cameraman, the way you focus your shot, I mean, you would be sitting there all day just messing with the focus, but what you, ha- what you have to do is you have to zoom in tight on the object, the thing that you want to be most clear, zoom all the way in. So if it's that clock, I'll zoom in and focus on that clock. If it's Eli right here, I zoom in and focus on him. And everything else has to deal with the focal point, the, the object of that shot. And so how we deal with our fear, it's not to try to muster some courage and wrestle it down to the ground, but we zoom in and focus on what's most important. And what's most important, no matter what the circumstance is, it's It's Jesus. It's Jesus put a different way, like, you got to locate Jesus in the midst of this mess. you got to search for him in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the lack, in the midst of the grief. Where is he? And as these gentlemen found, like, he was he was right there. He was right there, and they just didn't recognize him. And to Jesus say, hey, here I am. And so the more I do this, this whole preacher thing, you know, I used to think that my main thing was to preach, like write compelling sermons. That's a part of what I do. Oh uh, I mean, my, 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 my main thing is to be a shepherd and just to go and, and, and hang with the sheep. I ought to smell like sheep. Shepherds ought to smell like sheep. And so I just, I, all these things. But the more, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I do this, the more years that pass, you know, I, I just, my main job is to help you find Jesus. I don't mean just to discover him like, like coming to faith. I, I, I'm saying like my job when I go to the hospital and, 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 like, and like the kid didn't make it, right? My job when I go, I walk into the house and every, the family's already there and, and death's in the room and, and sorrow's written on their faces. My, my my job when I get the text and they, they, they lay me off. All these situations, all these circumstances, whether I'm performing a wedding or a funeral, or I'm visiting the hospital, because I you know I get to hold the baby first. You know the preacher gets a, you know that's one of the perks of the job. Or where I come to the hospital and something bad happens, my job is to help you help you find Jesus in this situation. Don't come with platitudes and empty words and just God just wanted another. I guess God just needed another angel. Don't ever say that to somebody. My job is to just help them locate Jesus. And sometimes that's as simple as me just sitting in the room and not saying anything. God's love would send somebody, interrupt their day, to just be with them. And maybe there's a scripture I can share. Maybe there's some hope. Maybe I can bring you some Chinese food. Maybe something, right? But my job is to help you find Jesus. When you got the angry, why did this happen? When you start rehearsing what you've done for God and why this shouldn't have happened to you, my job is to say, "Hey, what? where's Jesus in this situation? Let's zoom in and focus on, on him. And it might take a while, but usually what happens is you zoom in and focus on Jesus, the, calm, the, the seas start to calm. Your, your, your heart starts to slow down, and you start to realize that God is among you. Songwriters said to turn your eyes toward Jesus, look full in his glorious faith, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Boy, no, no powerful words have ever been written. It's true. My job and your job is to help people locate Jesus in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their circumstances. And this is the essence of what Jesus means when he says, do not fear. The I am is here. Jesus says, focus on me. Focus on me. Where is Jesus? So after you do that, focus on jesus and you find him there the second thing as you grow in faith is that you have to learn to step out of the boat i wouldn't have been thoroughly convinced of peter's faith or his trust in god uh, in the person of jesus were it not for him going toward jesus i told you earlier i don't trust you if you're not leaning the full weight of your faith on jesus I don't want to hear you talk about faith. I want to see it. God wants to see it. Then Peter called to him, Jesus that is, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And it's helpful to understand uh, uh, that Peter wasn't like doubting God. Like, well, if it's you, you know, still quaking with fear, I imagine that as he realized and believed that it was Jesus, his countenance changed. Peter's kind of the bold one. He wants to speak first. And so this is like really a, a, a really good sign of Peter's faith in Christ. So Lord, if it's you, let me try. If, if it's you, let me do it. I want to have some fun too. And, and I love what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, yes, come. And I'm struck that Jesus didn't say, listen. not Peter, this is, this is Jesus level stuff. You know about this life, Pete. Stay in the boat. You know, we'll let you pass out the fish and loaves after I do my thing. But this, come on, man, walking on water, that's not a Peter thing, that's a Jesus thing. Jesus with glee says, yeah, come. Scripture tells us that Peter went over the side of the boat and walked in the water toward Jesus. Jesus says, come on. The same power over creation that I am having over creation, over water. You're not supposed to walk on this stuff. He extends it to Peter, and he extends it to us to do the impossible. I'm not talking about doing the impossible for the impossible's sake. I'm just talking about, like, overcoming the the, the powers that be in our life, the things that press up against us, praying for sickness and asking for the power of the kingdom to break into people's life. Speaking to things like depression and mental illness and, like, actually expecting that, like, God could do that, that's Jesus-level stuff, but Jesus, like, extends that to us. We have to step out of the boat. We have to trust him in some meaningful way. And no matter what you're dealing with, one of the surest signs that you're dealing with fear appropriately, yes, even in the midst of your sorrow and grief, is that you have, you know, begin to take some risk. And you begin to do some things that you don't want to do. And you begin to say some, you know, things that you don't want to say and go places and engage people that you don't want to deal with. If you're like me, you just, I just don't want to look stupid. I, I don't ever want to look stupid. And it's hard to please God without looking stupid. Right? In fact that Hebrews passage should say, without looking stupid, it's impossible to please God. He says without faith it's impossible without looking stupid without taking some risk without putting yourself out there without stepping out on the ledge of faith it's impossible to please god in the vineyard we spell faith r-i-s-k risk so peter it's one thing to say i trust you lord it's another thing to step out of the boat and so what 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 that that mean for you step out of the boat. Right? We're talking about growing in faith. And some of you are like, I'm still just the same place I was 10 years ago. It must be the church I'm at. Or it must be I need a new Bible. Or it must be this. Or it must be that. And I would just say, what risk have you taken in the last five years? What's your commitment level to your preferences? What's your commitment level to your to your comforts and your reputation. Because there's a huge correlation between those that go for it and those that see great manifestations of God's power. There's a great correlation between those who say, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Though this dark presses in on me, yet will I trust you. I won't stop going to church. I won't stop giving. I won't stop serving. I won't disappear into the dark corners of my life. Though you slay me, though this thing's pressing on me, I will trust you. I will step out of the boat. I will step into the thick of things that scare me because you are with me. You are with me. What does it mean for you to step out of the boat? It means a whole list of things for me as a preacher. I don't have time to get into it. Some of you as parents, you have a category of things that what faith looks like for you as a parent where sometimes you're overriding concern for your kids, crippling fear that might press in. Some of those of you who are, are, are single, this, it looks like a like completely different list of things for well, what it looks like for you to, to step out of the boat in faith, to trust God. Maybe that means wait. Maybe that means do something. Maybe that means stop doing something. And the list goes on and on and on. You have to decide for yourself what it means for you to lean the weight of your faith onto something that looks uncertain. You know the properties of water. You know feet aren't supposed to walk on that, but God. Step out of the boat. Third and final thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, the first couple things are like progression. Dang, this thing is terrifying. I'm scared. Oh, I see Jesus. Jesus. Oh, my faith is stirred. I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to step out of the vote, right? You've arrived. You've conquered Christianity. You won the game. get the trophy. This story illustrates the fact that this faith thing is an ongoing thing. For some of us, it's here today and gone later today. <laughs> I mean, strong in this situation, but we turn the corner and we are frail and weak buckets of faith for this thing, but this thing is like I'm like a baby Christian all over again, disciplined with my money and I listen like dare not skip a tithe and Puerto Rico, who needs some help? I'm going over there. Then with your sexuality, you know John John that comes by on Saturday, all of a sudden, in this particular realm of your life with Jesus it's kind of like, first day of faith, right? Or the seasons of life where you're stronger. It's like, when do I win? Like, when do I get the trophy? Like, what dragon do I have to slay to, like, get the cape of faith? With well, this story, and many like it, illustrates like, this is an ongoing thing. Peter was, he's on the water. Jesus, just feet away from him. Like, that's all, that's all, I would think that's all I would need. I mean, I would be moonwalking on the water. I would be doing flips. I would think, Jesus is right here. I'm, do- I'm like walking, I'm taking steps. But something happens. Verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified again. And that terror caused him to begin to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so li- little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? And so if you want to grow in faith and you want to maintain faith, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus because there will always be something, hear me, there will always be something that will try to eclipse the sun. It will always be something that will try to make itself louder and larger than God. Now, we know through faith that no such thing exists, but in those moments, you know, in those moments, when the phone rings, the doctor comes in, you can see it on his face. You can see it on his face. Or parents, you get on WebMD, you know. And all of a sudden, you're looking up symptoms, right? Or you've been single longer than you want to be single, and you've you, you got a date, and you think this is the one, and he's a complete flesh. It's like something all of a sudden gets louder and larger than God, and the light that's supposed to like permeate the darkness is being eclipsed by something that's so small. Why? Because you get it right up to your eye. Tiny, it's right up to your eye. And it blocks out right? Jesus says, and I I'll close unless you can come up and worship. Jesus says, you want to grow in faith. You gotta deal with your fear, of course. You gotta step out of the boat, whatever that means for you. But you gotta keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. And this is this is hard for some of us because we got. We got some type of attention deficit thing, right? I had a six-year-old, a three-year-old, a nine-year-old. Sometimes I gotta grab their face. Look at me. I'm talking to them, and there's something shiny over here. And they like, oh. the ice cream truck. I was, are they seeing a spider? In it, right? Look at me. I'm talking to you. Sometimes I get my wife's face. Hey, look at me. I'm talking. Because we're just so distracted, we're so distracted. Jesus said, "Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me." Why? Jesus says, "I, I already told you who I am." Remember the peace that overtook you, Peter, w- when you knew it was me. Remember the peace that overtook you when you realized I could do that. Yeah. Confidence you felt as you walked on that stuff that you weren't supposed to walk on. Jesus isn't saying to rediscover that all over again. He's saying, just remind yourself of what you knew moments ago. Keep your eyes on me. Some of you are in school, and school is kicking your butt. You're going crazy. Some of you are dealing with kids, and it's driving you crazy. Some of you are dealing with work, it's driving you crazy. Some of you are dealing with sickness in your body, some tragic thing, and it's driving you nuts. Jesus just said, daughter, keep your eyes on me. Son, keep your eyes on me. And by his spirit, he will reveal what that looks like for you. Keep your eyes. Volumes and volumes more to this conversation. But my prayer is that the spirit will grab a hold of what's been spoken. Like tether it to your life so that you might walk in this like today. Today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, the truth anchors us, tethers us to what is real. We thank you for faith, Lord, that is just the inward deposit, that reservoir of hope that is a testament of your goodness, greatness, your character, and your promises. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come today. That, God, you would do what only you can do, Come, Holy Spirit, release the gift of faith in this place. Help us to deal with our fear, and step out of the boat, and to keep our eyes on you. And as we worship you today, Father, would you just seal this word with your spirit? Just seal it. Come, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We fix our eyes on you. We trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief this morning. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.